You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. President Joe Biden speaking live in Vilnius, Lithuania, wrapping a two-day NATO summit with a bit of a victory lap after securing the admission of Sweden to the alliance, the exact thing that Vladimir Putin did not want to see. He was betting NATO would break. He thought our unity would shatter at the first testing. He thought Democratic leaders would be weak, but he thought wrong. Faced with the threat. As the president now heads to Finland for a summit of Nordic nations, we seek perspective here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we thank you for joining us in conversation now with a real authority, Kurt Volker, the former U.S. ambassador to NATO, who also worked as U.S. special representative for Ukraine negotiations, is back with us right now on Bloomberg. Mr. Ambassador, we welcome you back. Was this NATO summit the success that President Biden just made it out to be? Uh, there were some successes, but I don't think it did everything that it needed to do. I think getting Sweden uh, through, that you know, the Turks relenting on their opposition to that and Therefore, bringing all of Northern Europe, Finland and Sweden under the alliance umbrella, that's a very good thing. That's going to strengthen alliance security. On Ukraine, however, I think that we didn't do as much as we could have done. We gave very vague language about Ukraine becoming a member in the future without any clear commitment to that, any new resolve behind that. And I think Putin's going to look at that as a hesitation on NATO's part. Mm. Uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, watching all of this from Moscow, is thinking what? Well, I think he's thinking that he should keep fighting in Ukraine. Uh, If he had gotten a signal that was stronger, that we are going to make sure that Ukraine wins, use the word victory, use the word winning, and that they are going to be a member of NATO, make no mistake about it, this is going to happen. I think it would send a signal to Putin that he's not going to succeed at this, no no matter how much he fights. It's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. But instead, by more hesitant language, I think it encourages Putin to think he can still outlast the West. There's not a real commitment there. Um, If he um, just keeps going, he can get a... You know, more territory, more land, force a negotiation for Ukraine to give up things to Russia. So I think he's encouraged. 
That's uh, discouraging, uh, I'm sure, for uh, many to hear. And I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the change of tone that we heard from President Zelensky on this idea of Ukraine eventually joining NATO. Here he is from earlier today. Ukrainian delegation is bringing home significant security victory for the Ukraine, for our country, for our people, for our children. It opens for us absolutely new security opportunities. And I thank everyone who made it possible. Thank you, dear colleagues. Thanks you, thanks Lithuanian and Ian Stoltenberg. Thank you very much. Mr. Ambassador, that is a far cry from what we heard yesterday as President yeah. Zelensky tweeted that uh, uncertainty uh, is the problem here and in fact a greater risk than joining uh, NATO. Who got to President Zelensky overnight? Yeah, I think that people probably did counsel him that it's not in his own interest to to be, you know, what would you say, biting the hand that feeds you. You know, he's dependent yeah. upon the U.S. and all of these other countries that are helping Ukraine. Um, don't just go after them and criticize. Try to make the best out of this. And I think also a recognition, um, you know, emotionally he responded one way. But over time, as you think about it, the, there is no other way that this works out in the end. Ukraine will become a member of NATO someday. Uh, and uh, also a member of the EU. It's mm -hmm. just that uh, it's not as clear today and not as much commitment today as he wanted, but it's still going to end up going the same direction. Well, if you were still U.S. ambassador to NATO, what would have been your advice to President Biden? What should have been the language used to not essentially yeah, motivate Vladimir are, Putin? Right. I, I think we say that we will. Um, at, we are determined to, to admit Ukraine to NATO as soon as it is practical to do so. Um, clearly, no one's going to do it while the fighting is going on because we don't want NATO to join the war against Russia. But we also need to say that we will do this as soon as possible, uh, which is much stronger than what we came up with. There's a sentence in the NATO communique which says that uh, Ukraine will receive an invitation uh, at the time when all allies agree and when conditions are met. And what that tells you is that allies don't agree now, and it tells you that there are conditions that are not met. Mm -hmm. Well, that is the wrong signal to send. Uh, I think it needs to be we will bring them in as soon as possible. We've made that decision. The train is leaving the station. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as it's practical, we will act. That's, that's, that would have been a stronger signal. Here's how Joe Biden framed it in the last 24 hours. I hope we finally have put to bed the notion about whether or not Ukraine is welcome in NATO. It's going to happen. We're moving. We're all moving in the right direction. I think it's just a matter of uh, getting by the next few months here. Just a matter of getting by the the next few months. Does he think the war is over in the next few months? Uh, that's what it sounds like from what he said there. And, and that'd be a I, heck of I a hope, development. I hope that that's true. I hope that that's the case. And uh, I hope, therefore, we give them what they're asking for, the long-range artillery systems, fighter aircraft, help them get it over with in a few months. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe that statement by President Biden was actually trying to compensate for some of the weak language that the NATO communique put out. How about that? I want to ask you about Turkey, uh, but just before we get there, the idea of peace in Ukraine, I, I, don't, I don't want to be ironic here or disrespectful, uh, but we haven't talked about this in a long time. And whenever it comes up in the White House briefing room, it said, well, nothing for Ukraine without Ukraine. They will do this on their time. But at what point, Ambassador, does the U.S. have to start pushing this idea? 
Well, I think it's always tempting. Everybody wants there to be peace. Everybody wants a negotiation. But we want that, yet Putin doesn't. Putin can, as Biden said in his speech just now, he can end this war immediately just by pulling his forces out of Ukraine. It's Putin that doesn't want to negotiate a withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine, giving Ukraine its territory back. So as long as we are faced with that kind of Russia, we can talk about negotiations all we want. It's simply not feasible. Got it. Um, The idea of giving F-16s to Turkey is something that has uh, been floating around this week, and it looks like it is absolutely going to happen. Can we assume that that, in fact, was the transaction? I know the White House doesn't want to put it this way, but the transaction that unlocked uh, Turkey uh, to clear Sweden to join NATO. I, I think it's several things. Uh, I think, first off, Erdogan arranging his re-election successfully. Um, he was using the ability to stand up to Europe and stand up to Sweden, stand uh, against terrorism as devices to make him look strong uh, in a domestic context in Turkey. So that was part of it. Uh, it was just using it as an electoral uh, device. Second, he did reach some agreements with Sweden on uh, Sweden committing to do a better job of making sure that its territory is not exploited by the PKK, the uh, terrorist group that operates in Turkey. And uh, he got that from Sweden. And then also the F-16s, where the U.S., uh, as you know, we've been holding back on fighter aircraft because of Turkey's uh, acquisition of a Russian air defense system. But I think those are solvable problems, and I think it's in our interest to have F-16s with Turkey. So uh, I think we did that, and I understand why the administration doesn't want to see it as a transaction. It probably just was one more thing added to the mix that helped it all come together, and it's in our own interest to do it anyway. How do you view Turkey? You are the U.S. ambassador to NATO. How do you view Turkey as a player in this alliance? What is? How do you define this relationship? Is it a, is it a trusted partner? Um, what I would say is that Turkey and the U.S. share the same strategic interests about ninety percent of the time. If you look at a map and you and you stand in Turkey and you look around, you've got the Black Sea, Ukraine, Crimea, Russia, Iran, uh, Iraq, uh, Kurdish region, Syria, uh, Middle East. On most of these issues, uh, the the Turkish interest and the U.S. interest are very closely aligned. Now, they are not a subservient country. It's not like we're going to be able to tell them do this or do that. But if we work together with them, we'll find that they are a very powerful ally. They're a large country. They've got a, a capable military. They're in a critical part of the world. Now, we have a lot of differences with Turkey, particularly the way Erdogan runs the country domestically. He's got a very heavy hand, but we ought to be able to work with them on the strategic picture. And we haven't done a good job at that for for years now. And uh, I hope that what we've seen now with the F-16, with Turkey approving Sweden, with Turkey saying that they want to see Ukraine and NATO, maybe we'll start to turn a corner. In a better place. How does that 90 percent compare to other nations? Is that you know, what, what's the metric here? How, how should our listeners uh, understand that, some well, perspective? You know, uh, <laughs> you can get to the very bottom of the list by jumping over to Iran. Okay. Um, well, or, sure. you know, or North but I mean, Korea, within NATO, you know. within NATO, if we agree 90 so, percent of the time NATO, with Turkey. I'd say, I'd say it, you know, in some cases, you know, we're 100 percent aligned with our allies. Uh, I'd say that is largely the case with the U.K., with Canada, the Netherlands. Um, there are some cases where we do have some differences. Um, not that many. 
But even if we do have some differences uh, with our allies, Mm -hmm. uh, it's more important that we focus on the big picture and work together. And the one big thing, and when we're talking about NATO, it is about the security and defense of Europe. Mm -hmm. And there, I don't think there's any daylight between any of the NATO allies on the idea that an attack on one has to be seen as an attack on all. And we, we respond to that in order to ensure the security for everybody. I think that's, that's the key thing about NATO, and okay. I think everybody's committed to that. How about Viktor Orban? How much do we agree with when it comes to Hungary? Well, uh, yeah, you know, we, we have a lot of differences now with the way that he is running Hungary and his taking advantage of being in a safe and prosperous position as a NATO and EU member to do deals with Russia and do deals with China. So you have a lot of, a lot of difficulty with that right now. Um, but when it comes to defense of the NATO territory, uh, Hungary is fully committed. And indeed, they've been taking part in, in air policing missions and stationing of forces in the Baltic states to demonstrate that they're part of NATO security. Mr. Ambassador, great to have you today. We've been looking forward to the conversation all week. Kurt Volker, the former U.S. ambassador to NATO, who also served as U.S. special representative for Ukraine negotiations, we're bringing you insights from a true authority here. Following the speech from President Biden, he just wrapped in Vilnius and is now headed to Finland uh, later today for a summit of Nordic nations. Let's assemble our panel for their take. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. The other two voices you need to hear from today, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, you worked uh, with Ambassador Volker uh, for some time. I think you still might at the McCain Institute. With with that said, do you agree with him in his take here? Did Joe Biden have a mic drop moment here or not? Yeah, I think Joe Biden had a good week. Um, We we set up the week by saying we we thought a big success would be Sweden coming in, and it did. Uh, I I do think the the fly in the ointment was the reaction initially uh, by Zelensky that, you know, he didn't get what he wanted. I mean, even if he didn't get what he wanted, why do you actually say that? Right? I mean, like, you, you cheer the fact that you're embraced by NATO and that you're getting stronger every day and that you're going to take this fight with this group to Putin. You, you, you're really talking to Vladimir Putin at that point. Right. And the last thing you want to do is undermine NATO. So even if he didn't get what he wanted, I mean, like the fact that he's now spun on a dime and is thanking his NATO partners is what he should have yeah. said to begin with. I mean, huh. like, we love him. He's doing incredible work and amazing sacrifice. But, like, this is how this game is played. So I, I think he's become a great leader, uh, but he needs to have this inter- international stage figured out a little bit better. Yeah, the line from President Zelensky, I believe, yesterday, Jeannie, was uncertainty equals weakness and a very different tone today. Should he have sounded like this first, or is that a calculation on his part? He should have sounded like this first. You know, I think we can all understand his frustration. There is no question of what a great leader he has been for his country and how he is fighting as hard as he can to get them what they need. That said, I think the ambassador is a thousand percent right when he says you don't bite the hand that feeds you. We are talking from the U.S. alone, $40 billion munitions. You know, you'd never seen that lineup of NATO leaders that we saw on that stage and the full-throated support for Ukraine. Um, You know, people have said, and I think this is true, there is no country that is not in NATO that has done as well as Ukraine has. So he does have to be very careful about that. He seems to have understood that in his more recent remarks, and I think that is critically important. I also think there's something else not being said here, which is the fact that 
you know, we are all talking and we're here it all the time in D.C. and elsewhere. There's going to have to be a diplomatic resolution to this thing. Russia is not going to sign off on that if Ukraine is going to be in NATO. And so the U.S. and NATO allies are reluctant to say that at this point. And Zelensky, on the other hand, is saying if we don't get in now, we're never going to get in. So that is something they want to keep open for negotiation from NATO's part. But for Zelensky, of course, that may be a sign that this is never going to happen if we have to negotiate our way out of this. And so there is a big sticking point and it's going to have to be negotiated out. And it's not something that he is going to welcome. He's worried about the outcome and right he should be. Did you agree uh, with Ambassador Volker, Rick, that we actually might have encouraged Vladimir Putin here? Or are there shades of membership? Could could NATO do more to formally uh, pledge military aid to Ukraine uh, or have have we already done what can be done in this case? Uh, no, I absolutely agree with uh, Ambassador Volker. I think that we missed an opportunity to just lock down Ukraine as a free country. Uh, uh, I, I mean, slightly critical of of, of uh, President Zelensky for sort of spitting a bit on the news, but the yeah. reality is he was just reacting to what I think universally uh, people see as a weak stand by NATO and a weak weak response by Biden. I mean, this could have been much more than it turned out to be, even if there are hesitations as. Ambassador Volker said, even if there are conditions that need to be met and allies who aren't in total agreement, you don't say that. Um, you, you find a very strong message because in this case, in this case alone, uh, you're sending a message to Vladimir Putin and no one else. NATO's already in agreement what's going to happen here. Ukraine is already in agreement what's going to happen here ultimately. The only guy who you are talking to at this point is Vladimir Putin. And the notion that somehow we'll figure it out later is exactly what Vladimir Putin wanted to hear. He'll just keep fighting until there is no more Ukraine if this is the case. Uh, not and that, no more Russian military. That's right. Well, look, there are more Russian military units that can be put on the field than Ukrainian. And and the idea that we're having World War One tactics in the 21st century actually plays to Putin's strength. I mean, until we actually change that, you know, it's still advantage Putin on this thing. So, um, you know, I think I think it's a missed opportunity. But that's I mean, like that's just half the speech today. I mean, Biden was really talking a lot to the American voter today in this speech. Who would have thought he'd go to NATO and talk about climate change, <laughs> talk about supply chain issues? I mean, like yeah. there was a completely sort of one two punch here where it's one. I'm going to cover the NATO front in Ukraine. Uh, and then on the other front, I'm going to you know talk to people about what we need to do about my reelection. Well, let's get into that for a minute, because I think we've already established uh, here on this program that this is the one thing, this is the the most envious thing, the most envious position that the president could put other presidential contenders in here, watching him work the world stage like this, Jeannie. Listen to the, the, the victory lap, as we put it on the terminal, just a short time ago. I had the great honor as United States Senator of championing Lithuania and other Baltic states to join NATO in 2004. Wasn't I brilliant doing that? Wasn't I brilliant doing that, Jeannie? This is a this is a president who is feeling emboldened. What do the other candidates think watching this? You know, and right, he should. This was a, I think, a real success trip for for Joe Biden. He is in sharp contrast to the number one candidate on the other side, Donald Trump, who wanted to withdraw from NATO not that long ago. You hear people around the word, world concerned as to the outcome of the 24 election, particularly as it concerns our funding 
for Ukraine. I couldn't agree more with Rick that he was speaking to an American audience several times during this trip, not just talking about supply chains, but also as he confronts a real threat from Republicans attempting to defund support for Ukraine. We saw Marjorie Taylor Greene and others introducing these amendments, these resolutions. We've heard McCarthy say he's going to stand strong against that, except he wants to go through regular order. So this is a very real challenge for Americans in the domestic front. And Joe Biden, we shouldn't forget, in the 2020 campaign, he said this is a choice between democracy and autocracy. He feels like the war in Ukraine has underscored what he saw coming out of this, and he is going to keep sticking with that as he goes into 2020. But he's got to, of course, keep American support amongst progressives on the left and conservatives on the right in terms of funding out of Congress. And that is going to be a challenge because Americans feel maybe 40 billion is enough in many cases. Jeannie mentions Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who offered an amendment to the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, that was aimed squarely at NATO and this summit. Here she is. Amendment number six directs the president to withdraw the U.S. from NATO. My amendment would direct the president withdrawal from NATO. They are not a reliable partner whose defense spending should be paid for by American citizens. The uh, gentlewoman from Georgia says it's time to withdraw from NATO, Rick. I know you don't see Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't think anyone sees her as speaking for the Republican Party. But I was going to ask you if Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis might show up in Europe or somewhere on the international stage to sort of match Joe Biden here. Uh, But maybe that's the exact opposite of what a Republican candidate wants to do right now. Yeah, I don't think it's an exact opposite. Uh, I think that this has historically been uh, a space that Republicans have occupied uh, the support for NATO and engagement around the world. And and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene just showed that she is actually not a relevant or serious person with this kind of showboating. And, and I would think the real person who is on the spot here is the speaker who calls Marjorie Taylor Greene his advisor. And, you know, I think it's time for him to walk out and say, I totally disagree with Marjorie Taylor Greene, because this is not even close to Republican doctrine when it comes to support for NATO and the strength of our country in NATO. Of course, we remember the whole uh, conversation that Donald Trump had about nations paying their fair share. He even threatened himself to withdraw from NATO. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how that's reflected on the campaign trail going forward. We'll keep our eyes, I guess, on social media for more on that. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel on an historic day as NATO concludes this two-day summit. The president heading now for Finland, as we mentioned. It's been a big day here inside the nation's capital as well, and not a very fun one for the head of the FBI grilled on Capitol Hill. We'll talk more about that ahead with Rick and Jeannie. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success.
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. A couple of Maylock's moments today for Christopher Wray as the FBI director testifies before the House Judiciary Committee, the first time he's doing so today since Republicans took control of the House. Republicans who are not fans of Ray or his FBI answering questions and responding to accusations today of colluding with the Biden administration. You seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does you won't not the has qu- no oh, interest in You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Spending quite some time defending the work of his department, citing efforts to get violent criminals off the streets, investigating cartels that traffic fentanyl. Not good enough for many of the members on the panel today. Let's reassemble our panel for insights. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, Republicans, uh, led by Jim Jordan in this case, have a real chip on their shoulder when it comes to the FBI and Christopher Wray. They believe that the federal government is weaponizing agencies like the FBI to cover up for Joe Biden and to go after uh, folks like Donald Trump, for instance, conservatives who are outspoken. Does this hearing lead to anything? Some are threatening to defund the FBI. Yeah, I think that this has been a real showboat session uh, today. Uh, Jim Jordan has been campaigning on this for a long time, long before this session of Congress. Uh, and now he has the you know rank uh, to be able to pull uh, people like the FBI director in and, and grill them on these issues. But the reality is, um, you know, there is not likely to be any real uh, fire where the smoke is today. Uh, the FBI... They make mistakes. They've they're not been perfect. I actually was shocked that they didn't spend more time on talking about the 300,000 times the FBI misused foreign databases. Um, hmm. You know, that that to me is a bigger issue than, you know, some of the school board threats and things that were brought up today at nauseum. Uh, but this has been a theme of the MAGA right, uh, you know, since Ronald, uh, since Donald Trump took office. And so uh, I think there's really nothing new here uh, other than the fact that they had, you know, the uh, director in place to, to launch their attacks. They really didn't care what he said. It was really just a one-way, you know, uh, press machine today. So I guess this is an airing of grievances, uh, Jeannie. It's like uh, Festivus for the rest of us. But we keep coming back to stories like uh, that of Mark Houck, the FBI arrest of this anti-abortion activist, uh, in the Philadelphia area, is accused of shoving a 72-year-old volunteer outside a Planned Parenthood clinic and has become uh, kind of a symbol for everything that we're talking about here. His defense team says his arrest uh, was not above board. And Congressman Chip Roy uh, went at it with Christopher Ray on this issue. Listen. Your job is to protect the American people from a tyrannical FBI storming the home of an American family. I could not disagree more with your description of the FBI as tyrannical. 
Uh, and you I don't think believe it's just, tyrannical that, that FBI agents were a part of storming a father's home the gentleman, in suburban Philadelphia? I'm the Mr. Chairman. Time of the gentleman's expired. The witness may respond, and then we'll move to our next witness. Sir, our next, respectful uh, response here. They did not storm his house. They came to his door. They knocked on his door and identified themselves. They asked him to exit. He did without incident. Gotta wait for it. Whenever our agents, well, not at gunpoint, whenever our agents conduct an arrest, they are armed. Our agents are armed virtually all the time, as you may remember from your own experience as a prosecutor. <laughs> so a couple of things here, Jeannie. Uh, one, Jim Jordan keeping his members on time, despite his interests. But also, the way Christopher Ray is composing himself today, uh, he was clearly well prepared for this, and he knew what a lot of the questions and accusations would involve. Did he do a good job disarming, if I dare use that word, Chip Roy? No pun intended, Joe Matthews. I try. <laughs> you know, I think he did. I, I was listening to this earlier as, as long as I could, and I think the one thing that Ray is doing is what you always sort of expect people or hope people will do when they know that they're facing, as Rick just rightly described, attempts by lawmakers to make a political point and, and get a 30-second clip on the air, is you try not to get roped into some kind of emotional display, keep your cool, keep calm. If I dare say, be as boring as possible is probably the watchword so you don't make the evening news. And I'm not saying Chris Ray is boring. I don't think that. But I do think he's done a good job. You know, I think he went in there with a couple of, of ideas. One was that he was going to sort of try to refocus their uh, energy and their 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 sort of um, look at the FBI, sort of like you would do with a child. Take your eye off what you want there and look over here at this. And so he tried to talk about all the things that the FBI has done right that we can all get behind. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind about Chris Ray, and we heard this from Ken Buck, appointed by Donald Trump in 2017. Ken Buck said, I hope you're still a registered Republican. You know, this is somebody who is not normally at odds with these folks. And, you know, he is under fire as a stand-in for the Biden administration, despite his party identification. And right. the fellow who appointed him, the fact that he still sits there has gotten their, their ire and yeah. he is being used to attack them. And I would just add, they are also going after the salary of these folks. If they can't defund the FBI, they want to take away his salary. They could do it. But or gosh, the new headquarters for them. New headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to move to Alabama, apparently. Yes, I heard something about that. Ask Tommy Tuberville where the FBI is going. Rick Davis, you have worked to prepare the highest level members of uh, the political world, holders of elected office, other government officials for testimony like we're seeing today. How's he doing? Yeah, look, I mean, this was a pretty rough environment. I mean, maybe the roughest you can get into. And, and, and look, I mean, I think you do tell them that uh, in many cases, and in this case, maybe all the cases, it's really not what you have to say. It's what these members want to say to get on the record and to make news. At exactly what we're doing, right? We're reporting these, you know, yep, uh, right. attacks on him, and very little of it is what he said in response. And so, I think, you know, he did a good job of of actually not making any news himself. I, I can't think of a thing that happened in the hearing that he said that's newsworthy. Uh, and, and, you know, kudos to the FBI for preparing him well uh, in, a, in a very difficult environment. But it is a disappointment uh, because the Judiciary Committee is one of those committees that you actually expect to conduct themselves, you know, in a pretty uh, uh, honorable fashion. And, 
And, and that was not what happened today. This was just complete grandstanding. There's nothing been accomplished. None of these uh, conversations resulted in uh, positive legislative or policy uh, suggestions that, you know, other than, you know, as, as Jeannie said, moving the FBI to Alabama. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, uh, a great dive into this hearing. Coming up, some final thoughts from our signature panelist, Senator Ted Cruz says he wants to save you from your refrigerator. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Senator Ted Cruz, of course, Republican from Texas, is looking out for you, specifically in the kitchen. It wants to make sure that you know that your refrigerator may be spying on you. When you're buying a new refrigerator, yeah. you don't expect your fridge to record you or listen to you or spy on you without no. your knowledge. No, I don't. Not to mention the air fryer. I don't think the American people want their air fryer spying on them. And at a minimum, they have a right to know <laughs> if their air fryer yeah. is spying on them. You do have an air fryer, right? We reassembled a panel, uh, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us here. Ted Cruz, by the way, is getting together with a Democrat, Maria Cantwell of Washington, to introduce legislation intended to at least make Americans aware of the potential for spying when they purchase home appliances. Jeannie, it's the Internet of Things. We want our appliances to talk but not spy on us. Is the senator placing his fear in the right spot? I am so sad, Joe, because I want to buy an air fryer, and he has scared me off of this now. I had no idea they were spying, you know. And did you hear the reference to the Jetsons? He's got to get into the 2020s. People don't remember the Jetsons if they're under a certain age. That said, I do support the legislation. Let people know if they're being spied on in their homes. I would like to know because, again, I need an air fryer, and I didn't think it was going to spy on me. You know, there is a serious side of this, uh, Rick, that the, the level of data scraping going on the spying going on but i have to laugh you worry about the fridge looking at you because you know people have a fridge on on the wi-fi now but we're all happy to plug in alexa at home and have them spy on us <laughs> by our own choice yeah this is one area i think i can agree a hundred percent with ted cruz and can we all agree that there's a no-fly zone on electronics in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm with you there uh genie i'd go ahead and get the air fryer i think the senators are looking out for you this is your government at work right it is, and I, I have no I have no outlets in the bathroom. I don't know, no refrigerators, nothing. Rick, I don't know what you're doing. I have nothing there. It's well, a free zone. Uh, the, it, well, this is all really good for us to know. <laughs> we thank you, Rick and Jeannie. Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel, the best in the business. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we are keeping things up to date here with the Jetsons. Kaylee Lines is on the way in next. Because we haven't even talked about inflation yet. It's CPI Day. And on any other day would be likely our bleed story, right? But President Biden making his way to the Nordic Summit will be following his travels as well on the fastest show in politics. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. 
It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.